a big part of why this is problematic is for a lot of us, we would feel more comfortable settling for less than ideal than we would to actually stand up for what we know is right for us and what is right for the business. And that's, you know, when I say there's an epidemic happening of people settling in their business, this is exactly what I mean. Welcome to the Joyous Path to Millions podcast with me, your host, Emily June Wilcox, serial entrepreneur, seven-figure business owner, mindset junkie, creator of the Money Wound Medicine program, devoted mama of two, and lover of coffee and crystals. My mission is to put more money in the hands of soulpreneurs through healing money wounds, building abundant businesses, and balancing masculine and feminine energy. When we do this, we collectively up-level the frequency of the planet and help usher in new paradigm wealth. Each week, a new episode will air featuring expert advice, live coaching, and guest interviews where we'll dive into honest money conversations and the behind the scenes truth of building our aligned fempires. We all deserve a healthy, empowered relationship with money so we can experience more freedom pleasure and joy on our joyous path to millions. So get ready and let's dive in. Hello, hello. Welcome to the joyous path to millions podcast with me, your host, Emily June Wilcox. If we haven't met yet, hi, I'm a serial entrepreneur, seven figure business owner, a mindset junkie, creator of the money Wound medicine program, a devoted mama of two, and I love coffee and crystals. But most importantly, my mission is to help women build wealth by healing their money wounds and scaling their business in a joyful way. That is why we talk about the joyful path to millions. So thank you so much for tuning in and being here. I have a great interview for you today. This was so fun. Anne and I actually met through a mutual friend, my beautiful, beautiful Leah Pickard. Leah has been on the podcast before when we did like a big soul sister episode live from Newport Beach. Some of you guys might remember it, but I had Leah and Molly and Trish and Emma all on the show at the same time. And it was like all of our magical and witchy dreams come true. But Leah has been a business bestie from the get-go and she's always been friends with Leanne. And so when Leanne reached out and wanted to connect and deepen our relationship, I was an absolute hell yes to that. And I'm so glad that we did it because our missions are so aligned. Leanne is super cool. You guys are going to love her. She's a business coach. She's a founder of Mamas & Co., which is a community for mom entrepreneurs. Like, How amazing is that? She also hosts the Business of Thinking Big podcast, which I am on as well. And she's the author of the best-selling book, Building a Joyful Business. I mean, you guys, does it get any more aligned than that? She's on a mission to help women make a great living on their own terms, doing what they love. You are going to love Leanne as much as I do. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Leanne, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you. Oh my goodness. I am so excited to be here, Emily. Thank you so much. Yeah. So you and I were just having like a sidebar conversation about obligation and how it's a pretty low frequency energy, but yet it's really pervasive for women. And you were talking about how it shows up 
in our clients and in our client work. And so many of my clients and so many people listening to the show run service-based businesses. So I would love for you to expand on that. Totally. Well, you know, I was excited to chat with you today about this concept of defining success for ourselves. And a big part of why I'm passionate about that is because I see so many women settling in their lives, but more importantly, I see it happen a lot in our businesses. And we're making these decisions from a place of scarcity or a place of, I have to do this or else, or I have to work with this client, even though this person doesn't light me up, because if I don't, I won't make money this month. Or because if I don't, I don't know when the next client is coming along. And I think this is something that is is one of the first big obstacles that we have to learn how to overcome as entrepreneurs. And it can be tricky, right? Because on the one hand, we're putting ourselves out there and we're getting interest and we're getting leads and potential customers. But on the other hand, if we're honest with ourselves, it's not really the type of person we want to be serving. And it's not really the type of work that we want to be doing. Oof. Okay. So can you share some practical things we can do to shift that? Because I know I've had some of those moments in my business. And just to put context on that, when I started coaching, I already had another seven-figure income stream. So in theory, the coaching wasn't out of obligation at all. And yet still, I noticed it where like I'd get an application, somebody wanting to join my mastermind, and it's like, I could feel in my body, like my intuition was telling me this person isn't a right fit. And yet the mind wanted to kind of rationalize, well, maybe. And, you know, once they start working with you, things could change. (laughs) And thankfully, you know, I've been willing to do the scary thing and follow my intuition and say no when it hasn't felt like the right fit. But Man, if you have bills to pay that are riding on maybe this client coming in, I know it can be just an intense pressure. So what do you recommend? How do you guide your clients through this? Okay, so I've got three things to say about this. I think the first thing is if you are building a business from a place of I have to do this or else, how successful is that business really going to be? How long is it that you're going to keep telling yourself those stories and stay in that place of, I'm making money to pay the bills, but that's it. I'm not enjoying it. I'm not enjoying the work. I'm not serving people I really want to be serving. So that is a question that really only you can answer for yourself. And related to that, I think is, you know, when you came on my podcast, you gave my listeners so many great questions to ask themselves. And a question that I would ask all of your entrepreneurs listening to this is, am I settling in my business? Mm. So you can ask this about any part of your business. Am I settling in my revenue? Am I settling with my team? Am I settling with my customers? Am I settling with my services or my, my offers? Because if you ask yourself that, it should probably be a really clear, hell no, I'm not, I'm good, I love it. Or it's a, yeah, you know what? I am settling. And how you know this is happening, if you're working with a coach, 
ask that person to record the calls or you record the calls. And if you're working, if you're not working with a coach, then talk this out maybe with a business buddy. But you will know if you say the word but in the answer. Like, mm -hmm. I'm happy with my clients, but I noticed that this one person is really needy and really struggling to uphold the boundaries I put in place. Mm -hmm. Right. And another great question to ask specifically about clients is when I look at my client roster, do I feel uplifted and excited or do I feel drained and depleted? Because again, you will know the answer to this. Yeah. And if I were to pull out my list of clients, I will tell you that 99% of the clients I work with are, oh my God, I'm overjoyed to work with them. And I say 99 because I'm not perfect. I've been doing this now for nearly a decade, but every now and then there's one that slips through the cracks. And as you said, I miss those red flags, right? Sometimes yeah. you just don't even notice that they're there. Yeah. And that would bring me to my third piece of advice. And this is something that you reminded me of when you said, oh, they did this and I didn't really notice that as a problem. These red flags, sometimes we actually want to get to know them early on. And in my book, Building a Joyful Business, I list out like, I think it's 10 universal red flags to be aware of. Because mm. you might be listening to this and you're like, I haven't really been doing this long. So what should I be looking for? And there are yeah. 10 things that your people will or won't do again and again and again. And this happens early on in the relationship. So I think one, you got to understand what those red flags are. Maybe we can circle back to that. Yeah. And then two, once you know what they are, you can put out something that I call a red flag magnet. And Ooh. you actually did this when you said the words intake form. Mm. Even just by having something like an intake form, you are learning so much about your potential client by how they respond. For example, do they even fill it out at all before your call? Or it was your application call in your case, sorry. Are they even filling it out at all? What does that say about them? Do they value your time enough that they're going to take the time to complete that before they come to the call? Are they filling it out last minute or in a rush? Are they actually putting any thought into it? Or does it sound like they were, you know, what is the word? You're dictating it while they're driving. You, energetically, clients are showing you who they are, even from before you have that first conversation with them. So yeah. by creating these little opportunities to connect, or some might say, hoops for your potential clients to jump through, you're learning whether or not this person is going to be a good fit. Now, in the beginning of my business, I didn't actually realize I was doing this. Right. But now when somebody books a discovery call with me, there are several steps to it. And each one of those steps, including each question that was strategically designed for that form is telling me something about that person. So that is, I think, what we have to get clear on is, are these people meeting my criteria yeah. for a dream client or are they are there too many of those red flags how can we call them out how can we be aware of them i love that it reminds me of what we talk about when we're hiring folks which is hidden tests and mm. it's like people can say a lot of things in an interview but they always show you who they are through their actions and so we do a lot of hidden tests through our interview process where it's like even in the 
job description, at the end, it'll say, send an email with your resume to this email address and CC this email address. And in the message, let us know what your availability is in Pacific time zone. And mm. it's like, I'm always amazed at how many applicants can't follow each one of those things. But then what I wonder, my next question for you is, do you work with your clients on increasing their boundaries and standards? Because of course, it's a best case scenario to just notice the red flags before you get into a coaching client relationship or an agency client relationship. But it doesn't always happen. It's not always perfect. And especially when I look at it through the agency lens, I've found it to be much harder. Mm -hmm. Like we've really been surprised in both directions. Clients that through the proposal process seemed like they were going to be really needy, ended up being super chill and easy to work with. And we've had the reverse. Whereas with coaching clients, I feel like in my experience, it's been a little more straightforward, like who they are on the application or who they are on the call tends to be who they are in the relationship. But let's say you miss it and now they're paying you. It's so much harder to renegotiate that relationship or give up that revenue in pursuit of your true dream client. So how do you recommend that people navigate that? Yeah. So I think there's sort of two major steps to that process. I think the first thing is, well, Secret step number one is to have boundaries in the first place and have a, <laughs> have a contract in place. Make sure that you're not overcommitting and leaving things vague. Make sure that there's clear deliverables and a clear exchange of energetics that what they're paying you is this is what they're getting for. You do need to have those things in place, obviously, but you'd be surprised how many people are actually doing business without those basic things in place. And then they wonder why they're being stretched beyond their limits. So you have to have those things in place, but it doesn't mean that just because you have a really solid contract, your clients aren't going to try to access more than what you've promised. So there are a couple of things that I, I think people should try. I think the first is you got to learn how to have difficult conversations early and often. If you are new to running a business, don't shy away from this stuff. And people will tell me all the time, Leanne, I can't do that because I I struggle with conflict. Listen, we all struggle with conflict. Nobody likes having these conversations, <laughs> but it's a muscle just like everything else in business. And there's a way to do it that is gentle and creates an open dialogue and isn't just like, you're supposed to do this and you're not. And it, this also goes for team or anyone who's kind of trying to overstep our boundaries yeah. or trying to yeah. erode our boundaries. So I think the first thing is learn how to have dialogues about this stuff. Ask great questions. Don't assume, right? And when you notice something is sort of a repeated pattern, that's on you to address. It's not on them to address. Keep that in mind is that you are responsible for this relationship, not the client. Yeah. So take responsibility, have that conversation. And step two, if you have a conversation and things still don't get better, it is best for everyone involved to part ways. And I have a client, she's amazing, and she had this exact same thing happen to her. She had a client that was taking advantage of her, to, for lack of a better term, and she had a conversation with them 
And she told them directly, listen, this is what needs to change. And things did change for a little bit. And then they went back to the old days. They went back to the way they were before the conversation. And what she noticed was the client was actually disengaging entirely. Mm. And so this was an opportunity for her to take the reins and end the client relationship because she wasn't enjoying it and the client wasn't enjoying it. Nobody was actually getting what they wanted, but nobody was stepping up and taking responsibility for it. So Uh if you can work with them, that's great. But if you can't, that's also okay. And one of the best things that you can do, again, whether it's client or team, if they're not working out or you're not working out, is to set them free. Yeah. Genuinely, because that is inevitably when my clients do this, what happens, and you've seen this before, the dream client comes walking in the door because they've created space for that person. Yeah. It reminds me, like, I always say clarity is kindness Mm. because if you think about an employee or a client that you might need to fire, it's like, it should never blindside them. If it blindsided them, that's on you. If you imagine having the conversation and they're like, wait, what? You haven't been clear. So clarity is kindness. It's giving them an opportunity to understand your position, what's okay, what's not okay. And then it's up to them if they want to adapt to that or not. But if they choose not to, then when the second conversation happens, which is it's just not working out because we talked about this and this, and yet there's still been this behavior, no one's surprised. They might be sad. They might be disappointed. And you might be too, but you're not surprised by it. Mm -hmm. And I think a big part of why this is problematic is for a lot of us, we would feel more comfortable settling for less than ideal than we would to actually stand up for what we know is right for us and what is right for the business. And that's You know, when I say there's an epidemic happening of people settling in their business, this is exactly what I mean. And it's, it doesn't just end with the people side of your business. I see this a lot, and I'm sure you do too, on the money side of business as well. Yeah. We are settling for less than what we want to earn. And you and I were just chatting beforehand, what we are paying ourselves out of our revenue. And I think that's something that well, I'm, I mean, I'm sure that you talk about this so much in the work that you do with your clients as well, but, but that's something that I see as, is a real problem and it's keeping women from the growth and the abundance that is waiting for them. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So before we get there, I'm curious because you mentioned your book, which is How to Build a Joyful Business, which I love, by the way. So of course, you're on the Joyous Path to Millions podcast. It's like so in alignment. Did you build a business that wasn't joyful and then you had to get back on track? Or has your business always felt joyful, but you were noticing that your clients weren't taking those same actions? Yeah, no. I mean, I talk about it in the book. I burnt out in my first year of business and I I, I did hit six figures in my first year, which felt very, very joyful, but it was not joyful getting there. There was a yeah. lot of hustle and a lot of obligation, and a lot of compromise. And I think we all do this. We kind of justify that 
in terms of, well, that's just what you need to do to build a business, right? You have to work really hard. You and I were talking about this earlier about the importance of work ethic in the way that we were raised. I was raised to believe that working hard was highly valuable and it was something very admirable. And so I did that and I put those blinders on and my kids were, when I went all in on my business, I had two toddlers. They were really, really little. And so looking back, I put the hours into my business for sure, but was I enjoying the success that I was building? No. Was I enjoying what I was creating? Not at all. I was so busy just plowing forward. Mm. And I kept telling myself, you don't realize that you have these little conversations with yourself. But I remember thinking, I can have fun when I hit six figures. This will be more fun when I hit six figures. And so that's really when I caught myself doing that. That's really when I had to kind of shift gears and change the way I think and the way I behave in my business. And so one of our top values in the business is we bake the fun in. As opposed to thinking that joy and fun are rewards when we hit a certain milestone, it's right. like, you know, that's actually how you succeed. That's actually how you create more Ugh. wealth and abundance is by baking the joy into the journey, right? right. I love that so much. We bake the fun in. Yeah, I can so relate taking the whole delayed gratification approach. And for me, I'm curious if the same is true for you. That actually was like a pattern that started in childhood. Like I was really willing to do things I didn't like or just like have this really long range vision. So it was like, well, I'll put in the work now or I'll hustle now or I'll study now because it's going to pay off for me later. Does that resonate for you? Oh, 100 percent. A hundred percent. And I think I wore that as a badge of honor too. I was the kid. I wasn't the smartest kid in the room. I was never the prettiest kid. I was never that, but I would work harder than everybody else. And so long after everyone had given up and gone home, I'd still be there putting in the hours. And that went from school to university, to my work life, to my social life. Even I was always the one that was rallying the truth. I was always the one putting in the energy so that we could experience this thing at the end. And how I think, you know, the most recent example of this is the first year in my business, I didn't pay myself very much. Mm. I paid myself just enough to cover my portion of the household bills. And I gave myself this really low bar for what was acceptable Yeah. And then I reinvested a lot of funds into my business, which, yes, you have to do. Like, you do have to spend money and invest in yourself and invest in your growth. And I would say it probably wasn't so bad in me, but I see it a lot with my clients this, like, I'm going to deprive my own personal needs right now so that my business can succeed. Right. Do you see that too in the work that you do? Oh, 100%. Yeah. And, I have some clients who, and by the way, this is why we need to get into this conversation of gross revenue versus what you're actually paying yourself. Because I mean, I have some clients who half a million, million dollar businesses, and they will skip their own payroll when they need to, like when business is tight. And I was like, I'm trying to even think what would have to happen in my business for me to not pay myself. Like, 
skipping payroll is like the last thing on the emergency protocol that would need to happen. But it is a really common thing when we have, like you said, that settling energy, or I look at it through the context of money wounds, but I'd be so curious to hear like what shifted for you. Because aside from like baking the fun in, there were probably things that needed to change where you had to decide that you were a priority. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I didn't grow up thinking I was going to be wealthy. I came from a middle-class family. We did okay. There was always enough, but I grew up with the mindset that I'd be lucky to graduate university. I have a general arts degree. I'd be lucky to get a job that paid okay, that I could afford things like food and rent. And so I'm not exactly sure where that came from, but the idea of being extremely wealthy and, and having major resources wasn't something that was on my mind when I was a young person. And so when I started my business, the first thing that I wanted to do was I just want to earn enough to pay the bills and to get by, right? Like that was, if I can do this, then I can prove to myself that I have a viable business, right? So I think everyone has these sort of benchmarks that they give themselves. A lot of women that had a corporate career, I'm sure you hear this all the time, is I just want to make what I made in my old job. Yes. And I did that too. And the reason why we do that is that money is so complex and layered that we are clinging to numbers that make sense in our brain. So in my case, when I quit my corporate job, I was making $80,000 a year. And so I understood what it felt like to earn $80,000 and to pay taxes on $80,000 and to be able to use that money. So rather than thinking, oh, if I made 80,000 in my job, then wouldn't it be great if I made 100,000 in my business, right? Because that's, that's what the abundant mind says. It says anything is possible, yeah. but we don't do that naturally. Typically we go to what feels normal yeah. and 80,000 felt normal. And it, because it felt normal and it was something that I had familiarity with, it felt safe. Yes. And, and at that time when I was quitting my job, safe felt a lot better than risky, which was the big number. So I had to really sit with that and do a little bit of work on, well, what is it I really want, right? And at the end of the day, what I really wanted wasn't to just pay myself what I made in my old job. So that eventually there was a shift there as well, which we can dive into. Yeah, I still notice that in myself now, like the ways that it shows up where it's like, my brain wants to go to like the reasonable goal, Mm -hmm. And then be like, oh, but then we can build from there. And it really takes a lot of reminding. And sometimes I still forget that it's just as available and really just as easy to do double or triple that as to match the old salary or replace the certain income. But there is that safety and comfort and familiarity where it's like, oh, but if I can just get there, then I can grow. And it's this very linear thinking approach. Totally. And the truth is, anything that you want to create in your life or your business is available to you. Some choices and some paths might take more intention than others or take more resources than others. But this idea that we have to settle when it comes to how much we pay ourselves. And there's a couple of key metrics that I encourage people to get really comfortable with because most women are not actually looking at their finances enough. 
most of them, as you know, are, they're turning a blind eye. It makes them overwhelmed so they don't look or they're not making what they want to make so they don't look. Because looking at the numbers means coming face to face with how you're actually feeling about money. Yeah. And who wants to do that? Ew. <laughs> and so I'm happy to dive into what I think these metrics are. Yeah. That if you can kind of get an understanding of what's happening in your business financially, a lot of people think you have to have these really complex spreadsheets. And for some people, that's super helpful. And for other people, that's super overwhelming. Super, right. super overwhelming. So there's sort of three metrics or maybe four <laughs> that I think are the most vital. I would say the first one is having targets every single month for what you want to be making in your business. So even if you're just starting out, you have no proof of concept, give yourself a target of a thousand bucks a month. Literally, if you can't make a thousand dollars a month or twelve thousand dollars a year, it's not a business. It's a hobby, and that's cool, but don't call it a business. For most of my clients who are looking to get to six figures, they start with this exercise and it feels really hard to choose a number that they're going to work towards. Mm. But inevitably, after time and implementation, they start to see, oh, yeah, it's not such a big deal if I don't hit my target or wow, I surpassed my target. I wonder how I did that. Right. It just yeah. it gives you something to kind of ground to when it comes to the dollar side. So you can do this in Excel or you can. I have charts that I give people where they can kind of print it off and just look at this. But really, if you're not working towards a target every month, what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> you're just kind yeah. of floating through space. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be that would be number one. Have a target. Yes. Number two, you want to know the gross revenue that's coming in every month. And people will ask me, what is that? It is the total number of dollars that come into your bank account every single month when it comes to the business. So that is every sale you make in the business, whether you run one business, two businesses, it doesn't really matter. But gross, think about gross sounds like grand. It means the big number, right? That's the big number. Most people have no idea what that is because A, they're not setting targets and B, they're not actually looking on a monthly basis. Mm. Yeah. And I see the opposite a lot where people only know their gross and aren't paying attention to their profit margin or their take home. Or it's like everyone's putting their gross numbers on the internet, which is fine. Like I do that too. But then the people reading that don't understand the difference between like, oh, Emily is saying that she made $80,000 last month. It's like, yeah, not all of that went into my personal bank account. In fact, the majority of that did not go into my personal bank account. It's an opportunity to ask yourself, why are you doing this? Because for some people, that may be a great accountability factor to share their numbers. But for other people, it might be super intimidating to do that. So what yeah. if it was just about you knowing and having yeah. clarity? Yeah. So, And you bring up a good point. So the other two metrics that I recommend people track are you're tracking your expenses every month, right? So first we're going to track, we're going to have a target. Then we're going to see what comes in. That's your gross revenue. Then you're going to track what you're spending, which yeah. will allow you to see what your profit is every month as well. And then last but not least, out of that gross profit, what are you paying yourself? 
how much of that that's coming in that isn't going to other expenses is actually being kept and used and enjoyed by you. And if you don't have clarity on those things, that's okay because sadly, that's the case with a lot of female business owners. But it doesn't mean that you can't start. You do not have to have an advanced degree in mathematics to be able to do this stuff. It literally takes me probably about 15 minutes, 20 minutes a month to get the clarity I want on this stuff. If you're new, it might take up to an hour or two But that's an hour every month. And what I would ask you is, if you're not spending the hour on that, then what are you spending it on? What's more important than understanding the number side of your business? Mm. I love this conversation so much, so much. And just to mention cultural conditioning around this a little bit too, I think often women are more likely to say, I'm just not good with numbers. I'm just not good with math. That's not my strong suit. And most people are not born with this being their strong suit. It has far less to do with aptitude and far more to do with flexing that muscle and strengthening that muscle and being willing to do it. And it's like, understanding that you probably are more capable than you think. It's just that women were taught to clip coupons and like be homemakers. And so it's very easy to absorb that identity of like, oh, the men take care of the money and we just make dinner. And again, the energy of being on top of your finances is more challenging than settling for what's happening. And settling for I'm making okay money or I'm paying myself a little bit every month out of what's coming in. I don't really know, right? That is settling. It's good enough. It's okay, but it's not really where most people want to be. And when I had this conversation with myself, I was probably a couple of years into my business and I was still paying myself less than what I deserved. My business at that time was making half a million dollars a year. And I was still paying myself less than I was making in my old job. And I was doing that out of fear, Mm. right? If I pay myself too much, then I might be spending more than the business can afford. And so I kept paying myself a little bit every month, but it varied, right? I was just grabbing a little bit here, grabbing a little bit there. Whenever I felt like I needed it, I would take some. And then something shifted in me when I did an exercise, probably similar to the stuff that you do with your clients, which was around sort of really getting clear on what success and abundance would feel like for me. Yeah. And one of the things that I knew was going to have an impact was to have a six-figure CEO salary. And at the time, I was probably paying myself, I don't know, probably around like 50 or 60K a year, not a lot. But I knew that I wasn't going to have that sense of fulfillment and pride in what I had created unless I had a salary that matched my energy output. And for me, that was at least 100K that I was earning every year as the CEO of my business. And that was something that was, I think, hard enough to claim, let alone actually work towards and create. Mm. And now, of course, I can say I proudly do pay myself a six-figure CEO salary. But it was amazing how many feels I had to bump up against before I could get there. 
I'm so glad that you mentioned that, like for a variety of reasons, there's something about the energetics of six figure CEO salary that sounds, it just sounds really stable and it sounds important and it sounds, it doesn't sound like something you would skip. It's hard to imagine a business just deciding that's their CEO, but when we're not looking at our salary as a salary paid to a CEO and we're looking at it more as like an owner's draw here or there, it's so different. So I love the energetics that you shifted into around claiming that. Yeah. And that really was the big difference, right? It was me acting like a business owner, a small business owner versus me stepping up and claiming that I'm the CEO of this amazing enterprise and I'm worthy of this type of salary. And then the shift that went along with that was making myself an employee of the company. I still pay myself bonuses. When I feel like we have earned it and we've had a really great quarter, I'll pay myself a bonus of however much I choose. But the fact that I'm now on salary as an employee of my company and that I pay myself twice a month without fail that money is there for me. And it's amazing how when you make this mental switch, the money is always there. Mm. Isn't that amazing? Yes. I love this conversation so much. And I love that you're talking about net revenue, really. And not even just net revenue, but like what your actual take-home pay is, because it's something that we don't talk about enough, even on this show. And anytime we do, it's always just feels so refreshing and so relatable because at the end of the day, we are in business and like the business wouldn't function without us. We might have people on the team, but it's like, who's the most important person on the team? It's you. It's me. There's there's just no replacing us. And yet we would never not pay our team. And sometimes we look at paying ourselves as optional. And so shifting that in the way that you've shifted it, I think is going to inspire so many people listening. And I think, you know, this all comes down to how do you want to feel in your business? And I can remember one of my favorite clients of all time, she was doing incredible things in her business and her business had just surpassed a million dollars a year in revenue and she was on cloud nine. And then some time had passed and she was sharing with me that she was feeling frustrated because, okay, so I have this business that's generating seven figures. So why do I still feel poor? Mm-hmm. And I've had this experience as well, right? But it was, it's sometimes it's easier to spot when it's in a conversation with someone else. She was like, sometimes always. <laughs> yeah, sometimes <laughs> always. Spot it in someone else. <laughs> she was like, what is the point of continuing on this path and continuing to make millions if I'm going to keep feeling? small and poor and held back. And so I said, what would need to change in your own personal salary for you to not feel that way? And she was able to attach a number to it pretty quickly. That wasn't all that out of reach, but the way she was running her business up until that point, it was just amazing that even though the business was a seven-figure business and it was profitable and on paper, she checked all the boxes, but deep down, she still wasn't feeling successful. And that's why we have to take the time to ask ourselves, what does it feel like for me to be successful? For me, it was about saying I had a six-figure CEO salary, but more than that, it was about the kinds of things I wanted to do with that CEO salary. 
I didn't want a half a million dollar salary at that point. I wanted to pay myself $100,000 because there were certain experiences that I wanted to be able to have and afford and never have to wonder, is this for me or not? Right. And I know, I think you and I share a mentor in Amber Lillystrom, and she always says, if the dream is in you, it is for you. And I just love that so much. I do too. Time and time again, that has been a North star whenever I'm like, why this feels freaking crazy. Why can't I just be happy with what I have? And I'm like, oh, wait, if the dream is in me, it's for me. I'm meant to be doing this. (laughs) Can I share one fun story about that? Yes. Something that I'd always kind of wanted to do in the back of my mind since my kids were really little, like your kids' age, was I wanted to take them to spend a month in France because here in Canada, kids from about grades three onwards learn French as a second language. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to do it once my kids were both enrolled in French classes and we could go to France and we could enjoy living in France and we could all enjoy practicing our French. And my husband and I grew up taking French, so we also know it. And It was just something in the back of my mind that I always wanted to do. And I also wasn't in a rush to do it. I did want to wait till my kids were sort of like ages nine and 10. And so for a long time, it felt like a dream, like in the way that dreams feel sometimes really big and really far off. And then somewhere around probably a couple of years ago, I realized that I was making enough money in my business and we were Our kids were both enrolled in French by that time. It was grades four and five. We were enjoying our life and we had more than enough. And at the time, I finally got to a place in my business where I could easily take time off and I didn't have to worry about the business running. And at the same time, my husband had a job that was kind of under a bit of a transition. And we realized that, okay, like now's our chance. If we're actually ever going to do this, this is the year. And I think previous to that, I would have chickened out and I would have put it off and I would have waited until conditions were perfect. But there were just these nudges from the universe saying, no, make the leap now. And it was, we did an entire month in Europe. We did the first week in Holland visiting friends. And then the bulk of the time we had a villa in Provence in this beautiful town. And it was literally exactly how I imagined it. Every morning going to the bakery and the kids would order croissants and they would have to use their French and order in French. And every night we would go for a stroll and we would get gelato. And it was just literally, it was that moment of like, I've worked for this and I called this into creation. I created this from an idea out of my own mind. And then the funds that I've earned through my business are actually paying for this. And as you and I know, just by going there and having that experience, it's also calling in even more abundant experiences like this. So yeah, Mm -hmm. that's something that I wouldn't have had the funds or the courage to make a leap and, and do that even probably three or four years ago that I was able to do this year. So. Oh, I love that so much. And to me, That is like the epitome of building a joyful business or the joyous path to millions. It's like, wow, you run a business that allowed you to go spend a month in another country with your kids and soaking it in. And I'm sure you did some work while you were there, but not having to be like totally plugged in. Yeah, just a teensy bit. But like knowing that, the business gets to take care of you. 
and you get to like receive and it kind of bear the fruits of your labor. A hundred percent. Because isn't that why we're doing this? Like, yes, I love serving and I love coaching and I love what I do. But at the end of the day, I've always built my business around my family and what I want to create for them. And as at the time of recording this, my kids are going to be in middle school Mm -hmm. and it's a different phase. And is very, I'm keenly aware of how fleeting it all is with them. I wasn't when they were babies because I was hustling. I was really working hard. And now it's like I've been able to slow down time quite a bit. To answer your question, since you and I both love concrete numbers, we spent about 26 days away. And out of 26 days, I worked a total of about 14 hours. Wow. That's amazing. not not even one full day out of that. And I did it joyfully. I did it in bits and pieces here and there as I needed to, as clients needed me, I was available, but I never felt like I had to. And what was great about that is when I came back from that trip, I felt genuinely refreshed. I felt like I totally filled up my own cup that I was just reinvigorated to go out and to share what I do and help and serve more people. So that's another part about really understanding what success looks like for you. Success for most of us isn't working 50, 60 hour weeks. It is having time and space to enjoy the life that you've created. And so I guess that would be sort of a final piece of advice for your listeners is, is create enough space so that you can do this work so that you can figure out what is it that will make me feel the way I want to feel when it comes to success. If that's a number in your bank account every two weeks, then that's cool. Get clear on that. If that is for me for the longest time, and it it still is, I wanted to have minimum six weeks off my business where I was still getting paid, right? So in the olden days in a job, I would have called that six weeks vacation. Well, yeah. I have that now. Now this year, I'm 2024. I'm going to challenge myself to go for eight weeks vacation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just, I think that life is too short and it's important to have work ethic and it's important to put the time in to grow what you want, but none of it really matters if you're not actually enjoying it. Amen. Okay. Where can people <laughs> connect with you? So I mostly hang out on Instagram. You can find me at Leanne Kim Coach. If you've enjoyed this conversation, there's a good chance you would also like my podcast and it is called The Business of Thinking Big. And you can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. Amazing. Yeah. And we just recorded an epic episode for her Leanne's podcast as well. So definitely go check her out. Go connect with her on Instagram. And Leanne, this final question just honestly feels like such a summation of the theme that we've been exploring, but can you just share with us, what does it look like to be on your joyous path to millions? Right now, it's all about time and space. Right now, it has nothing to do with more hours spent with my face in a screen I realize that is not joy to me, even though it is how I make money. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, it is paying myself an ample salary that feels totally abundant, but also knowing that I only have to put in a certain number of hours to do that. And when I do that work, quote unquote work, 
it is the stuff that I love the most. It is truly like my highest possible output on the planet. I work very hard to build this thing. I have a great team. And now I think what's most important for me is that I am doing everything I can to enjoy it and to attract more of that. And so, yeah, that's that. And I, I would also add to that, you know, a big part of our mission that I don't really talk that much about, to be honest, is the paying it forward stuff. And every year at our conference, we award thousands of dollars in terms of cash and coaching to our mama entrepreneurs that are in my community that are showing promise in what they do. And I just want to be able to do more than that. I want to be able to earn so much that we can give away as much as we want every year to charities we support, but also give back to the mama entrepreneurs in our community. I love that vision. Amazing. Leanne, thank you so much for coming on the show. And to everyone listening, thank you so much for tuning in. All right. I hope you love that as much as I did. Make sure that you go give Leanne a follow at Leanne Kim Coach. You can tag me at M Makes Money. Let us know that you listened to this episode. Tell us what your top takeaways were, and I will share with you mine. Number one, create a red flag magnet. I love this. I've never heard it called that, but it's so good. Just have some sort of filtration system so that potential clients, you get to know them before you guys sign on the dotted line and start working together. Number two, asking the question of yourself, where am I settling in my business? Ooh, that one hit me, you guys. I cannot wait to journal out on that. Number three, pay yourself that six-figure CEO salary. Ah, that feels like so much juicy identity work and a great way for you to get into this stable and loving relationship with your business. Number four, Know your numbers and get clear on how much you want to pay yourself because you may not even know if that hasn't been a priority. So get clarity. And number five, bake the fun in. Oh, that just made my heart sing when Leanne shared that that was one of their company values. So I think it's something we can all take inspiration from and learn to bake the fun into our businesses. So thank you so much for tuning in. I've got an amazing episode coming up after this, so be sure to stay tuned. Listeners like you have made this a top 3% global podcast. So thank you so much for tuning in. Please like, subscribe, share, and leave a review. I also love hearing listener feedback, so feel free to slide into my DMs on Instagram at mmakesmoney. If you would like to explore hiring me as your money healer and business mentor, hit the link in the show notes or head to explore.emilywilcox.com. Until next time, I'm sending you all the magic money vibes on your joyous path to millions.